0: The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 3, 12-17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts,
1: What what we're going to talk about this morning, we're we're really staking ourselves here in Colossians 3, verse 17. Um, and, And let me set this up. Our mission at Sacred City Church, even in the midst of the pandemic, has been to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. All right, that's been our mission at Sacred City Church from day one. That'll be our mission at Sacred City Church until Jesus comes back. Okay? That, that's, that's our mission. Make disciples, plant churches, renew the city. But the whole deal here, to, to plant churches and renew the city, hinges on our ability to make disciples. Okay? That it, 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 to, to do what we're called to do, we've got to be able to make disciples. A disciple making church. In fact, that's the primary responsibility of the church. When Jesus uh, ascended from the grave, he commissioned his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. He says, uh, all... Authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus speaking. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, okay? Every tongue, tribe, nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Okay, so that's that's a great commission. The responsibility, the, the call, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, we have to understand what a disciple is. Okay. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who has a life life-changing encounter with Jesus, all right? Nothing less. A disciple isn't someone who just goes to church. It isn't just somebody who, who walks down an aisle one time at church camp. A disciple isn't somebody who just owns a Bible, happens to own a Bible. A disciple is somebody who has met Jesus in a profound way, and at the core of your existence, he has transformed you into a new creature, That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about, he's been talking about in the book of Colossians. We're talking, you meet Jesus and you're made alive in him. That's that's really what we've been talking about here in the midst of Colossians chapter 3, that, that that you are a new person. There's a new self that we are to put on as the old self is put to death. And so this is what makes a disciple, but then the question is, how does a disciple live? How does somebody who follows Jesus live from that point on? What does life after Jesus look like? Or life rather with Jesus or in Jesus look like? And, and that's really where we're getting at today. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, here's where American Christianity tends to get this wrong. I think there are two ways in American Christianity, I, I, there, I think there's two types of people. That Okay, I, I've had some sort of encounter with Jesus. How do I then live? There's some people who think, okay, you know, I said a prayer. Now, I'm going to do the minimal amount of spiritual stuff that I need to do in order to show that my life has been changed, right? Just the bare minimum. What does it require? Okay, well, I guess I'm going to go to church on Sunday mornings, maybe, you know, like, or at least Christmas and Easter, all right? So that's Okay, I came to faith. That's, that's a bare minimum. The other, the other mistake that Christians tend to make is that we say, okay, I've given my life to Christ. That means that my life needs to basically be, I've got to move into the church now. My whole entire life revolves around programs and classrooms and Bible studies and worship services. And so I just fill my life up with all of the Christian stuff, all the spiritual stuff that I can, can fill my calendar with. Because because in order to prove that Jesus has changed my life, I just have to be all about this, what's going on inside of the four walls of the church. And what happens then is we get taken out of the real world. right? We we get taken out of the places where there are not yet Christians, and, and we don't get to engage with them as the missionaries that we've been called to be. Because the mentality is that now that I'm a Christian, my whole life needs to be spent inside of these church walls. Now, both of these mentalities, like the bare minimum or all in at the church, signify a misunderstanding. It, it signifies a, a deep sort of underlying misunderstanding about life in general, that there's some sort of divide, that there's, we can compartmentalize our lives, that there's the spiritual stuff that we do at the church, and then there's the secular stuff that we do other places, like go to work and, and what I do my neighborhood and go into the gym, right? We, we have this sort of divide, and so one camp is saying, listen, I'm going to check in. I'm going to fill the, the bare minnows, check that box, go to church, do it. I I've sort of have some sort of balance in my life between the secular and the sacred. The other camp says, like, I'm going to get rid of all of the, the secular stuff. I'm going to find a job at a Christian nonprofit. Look, like, I don't have any problems with this stuff, okay? But, but we're, we're thinking about taking ourselves out of the world to put ourselves in sort of this enclave of the church, both of them signify this division that is a false dichotomy between the secular and the sacred. Nowhere in the Bible is there ever made a distinction between life as secular or sacred. It's not in the Bible. In fact, everything is under Jesus. Everything is sacred. All of life Everything belongs to Jesus. Abraham Kuyper says there's not one square inch in all of creation where the Lord Jesus doesn't look and point his finger and say, That's mine. And that's true of our entire lives as well. Or, in other words, to use the language that we've been doing through using through the, the, the series of Colossians, that Jesus is over everything, every single aspect of your life. Jesus is Lord, and He wants it all. Because the reality is you weren't just made by Jesus. You weren't just remade as the new self by Jesus. You were made and remade for Jesus. That your life is for him. And a disciple of Jesus acknowledges this reality and increasingly surrender all of life to Jesus. Right? Because here's the reality, that, that when you come to faith, you, you don't realize what it's like to submit your life to Jesus as Lord. right? Like I, I, We can sort of give our lives to Jesus and make that prayer or, or acknowledge what Jesus has done in our hearts, but then the rest of a disciple's life is this continual surrender of, of giving my marriage, my, my parenting, my kids, my work, my recreation, the hobbies, how I spend my money, all of these things fall under the Lordship of Jesus. And this is precisely what verse 17 is getting at here in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read it for you here. It says, if I can find it, here we go. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, do you see that? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what we're looking at today is the what and the how of discipleship, right? What and the how. So what are we supposed to do? He says, do everything. Now, everything in the Greek is this really interesting word, okay? You'll never believe what it means. The word in the Greek means everything. That's what it is. When he says everything. It means do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's not one inch of your life that doesn't, you know, extend beyond what Jesus wants to claim of your life, that, that all of it belongs to him. In fact, this, this phrase, in word or indeed, deed, or in word and deed, signifies this, that anything that proceeds from your life, anything that flows from you is to fall under this category of being done for Jesus in the name of Jesus. Right, we, we kind of get into, as Paul moves forward in, verse, or in chapter 3, he kind of gets into the logistics of it, specifically looking at, at husbands and wives and parents and children and, and, and people at work, masters and bond servants. All right? So he's going to work on some of those things in the coming weeks. But this extends into our work, our hobbies, how we eat and drink, how we spend our money, what we do with our time. Life with Jesus means that everything is sacred and is to be done in his name. Now, what does that mean? What, what does it mean for us to do all things in the name of Jesus? D- does it mean that, like, I walk into the gym, if I'm going to go work out in the name of Jesus, that before I pick up that barbell, dear Jesus, this is for you. Like, I go into work and, you know, give myself the whatever, like, Jesus, is for you. Like, we got to mutter his name before we do anything. That, that's that's not, not what this is. To do everything in the name of Jesus, means that we are representing Jesus. So what we do and the manner in which we do it is meant to point to Jesus. Now, here's where we, we often get this wrong. We're so short-sighted in our own lives that we tend to only think about representing myself. And sometimes we do a pretty bad job of that. Right? We only go into work or go into this relationship or whatever just to represent myself and, and my agenda, what I want, and doing all these things. And we forget that our lives are meant to be lived for Jesus. That's how self-focused we can be. But that's not the life of a disciple. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that we are ambassadors for Christ, that God is making his appeal through us. So, as, as ambassadors, right, if, if, you, if you go to the state capitol, there, there's ambassadors who are working on behalf of nonprofits and, and, and activist groups and all these other things. They're, they're going there. These ambassadors are representing the people that they stand for, and they're going before legislators and they're, they're making an appeal for certain sort of uh, uh, policies that they're in favor of. Right? This, this is the way that we are with God, that God is making his appeal. He's trying to communicate to the world what he's like, and here he has sent us to represent him in doing such a thing to a watching world, to people who do not yet know Jesus. And so that means that all of our lives, every inch, has this mission, has this Jesus-centered focus that we would represent the beauty and the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus in all things. To To do anything contrary than representing Jesus in that capacity the Christians, we need to trim that out from our life. Anything that's self-centered, anything that's self-glorifying, that has to be cut off. Paul talks about throwing off, or actually in Hebrews talks about throwing off anything that encumbers us, anything that holds us back, right? That, that's what holds us back from promoting Jesus to this watching world. That's, that's the old self that we are to put to death. Now, beyond that, and so we put off the old self, and then there's this new way of life, this new self that's motivated by love, love that holds all things together. Okay, so so our actions are meant to be done in love. Our actions are meant to be in in representation of the beauty and goodness and, and kindness of Jesus, right? There's certain things that we do, and just as important as doing those certain things is the manner in which we do all things. In fact, this is the way that the gospel transforms us in the everyday life, right? Because you, if, if you go to work one day as a non-Christian and, and you meet Jesus and the next day you go to work, it doesn't mean you change your work unless it's something that's completely contrary to the word of God, right? But if you're going to be an accountant, you're going to go in and Jesus is going to change, not necessarily the numbers that you crunch, but the way you crunch your numbers, the way that you interact with your coworkers, the way that you express love and patience towards those people. And so it's the manner that Jesus changes what we do. And the manner is to give others a taste, a glimpse of Jesus. And the more that you know Jesus, the more you dwell on the gospel richly, like we've been told to do in verse 16, the more Jesus oozes out of us. We can't help it, that it just just naturally flows out of us because we have been come face-to-face with the Jesus who loves us so deeply. And that just spews into our everyday life. And, and so this doesn't necessarily mean that we start doing anything special. right? Maybe you've got a calling in your life to go do something extraordinary. But for most of us, we're ordinary people living ordinary jobs, stay-at-home moms, um, architects, doctors, whatever you might be. Okay, we're doing ordinary things and and Jesus changes the ordinary things we do in an extraordinary way. So it's not that we do anything special, but we do our ordinary things with gospel intentionality. We do things in a way that represents Jesus well, that embodies the essence, the heart of Jesus. Now, I I, I finished this book while we were all kind of on our our sabbatical of, of quarantine here. Um, by Dane Ortlund called Gentle and Lowly. And I think it is by far one of the best books that I've read in recent years. And and his whole intention in this book is to focus on the heart of Jesus. Who is Jesus at the core of who he is? And Jesus tells us, one of his gospels, he speaks, he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, okay? For I am gentle and lowly at heart. So Jesus is different than you and I. The, the, Jesus has this essence, this, this gentleness and this humility that is worked into the essence of who he is that propels compassion, that that seeks justice. And there's nothing more appealing than that. Right, Jesus was the most inviting human being to ever walk the earth. There was just something about him that people were drawn to. There was something about him that people also were had a distaste for. But something about Jesus that's so inviting and drawing in. In fact, Jesus, he's not standoffish. Jesus doesn't draw lines in the sand to eliminate or to exclude people. In fact, the one time that Jesus drew a line in the sand was when the, the woman who was caught in adultery and he, he wrote something in the sand. It was in order to include a sinner, right? To, to show, look, you belong to me. I have grace for you. I want you to be invited in. And so this is what Jesus is like. And so if Jesus is this inviting, gracious, kind, lowly, humble person, That's what we should be representing in this world, whatever we do. Now, imagine the impact that we would have in our city, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, if we entered into those places embodying the essence of Jesus and the gospel. Like at work, you go, and whatever you do in word and in deed, it's pointing to Jesus. In our neighborhoods, the restaurants we visit, the gyms that we go to, we are being like him, and in doing so, we're reflecting his glory. In fact, that's what what it's like to be a Christian, to live life before the face of God, that all of life is before God, not just the, the sacred stuff. All of life is sacred, and in that, we reflect the glory of God in an imperfect way. See, like, if you're not a Christian this morning and one of your reservations with the church is, man, it's just, the church is a lot of jacked up people. It's like, yes, we are. We do, we do stuff very poorly. We, we are imperfect in the way that we reflect Jesus, but God is at work in us. And listen, God didn't save us, Christian, in order to take us out of the world, in order to, to put us in a little enclave of the church. He saved us so that we could help him renew the world. Now I've gotta say this, this calling to to reflect Jesus only applies to Christians. If you're not yet Christian, you're off the hook. There's there's nothing for you to do this morning. There's there's no call on your life to follow Jesus in this sense or or to, to do everything in the name of Jesus because quite honestly, you cannot live this type of way until you have experienced Jesus for yourself. See, Jesus doesn't want anything from you until you've experienced and received him for yourself. And that's one of the, the big errors that the church makes is calling everybody to live like a Christian who hasn't yet met Jesus. And so before we call you to, to follow Jesus, right, to, to live like Jesus, we want you to meet Jesus, to receive Jesus. We want you to, to step into our community and and address your doubts and your questions and wrestle with them and see how we do that as Christians because just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't have doubts. We don't have any questions about faith and life. So we want to invite you in to get a taste, to see little glimpses of Jesus here. And I, I assure you that once you see Jesus for who he really is, you can't help but turn your whole life over to him and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all in. I'm ready to follow you. And only once you've surrendered your life to Jesus can you actually live the way that Jesus is calling us to live, that everything, in word and indeed, deed, be done in worship. Because when you surrender to Jesus, what happens is that he gives you a new heart, right? This is, this is the center of your new life, the new self that you have in Christ, it's, and the heart really is the epicenter of our action. Every word, every deed flows from our heart, which is why... We have to receive a new heart from Jesus when we become Christians. See, to do everything for in, in the name of Jesus requires that kind of heart change. And Jesus provides just that kind of new heart. But not only did Jesus give us a new heart, the Holy Spirit, God himself, now moves in. That we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens, right? We are Pentecost Christians. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We're celebrating the reality that the Holy Spirit draws in and moves in and resides in the hearts of all Christians. Right? We are Pentecost Christians. And we believe that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and leads us into a deeper surrender that we would increase in our acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus. We believe that the Holy Spirit comforts us, that he assures us and keeps us. He he reminds us that we are, in fact, the beloved's, and the beloved's is ours. It tells us that that Jesus hasn't grown tired of us no matter how much we waver and how inconsistent our faith is. The Holy Spirit comforts us in that, and the Holy Spirit empowers us. See, see, to do all, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus requires the Holy Spirit to empower us to do such a task. Which is why we come to the how of how we do everything in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit enables us he he fuels us he empowers every christian to live this new life for jesus paul actually says in galatians two twenty. He says it's no longer i like the spirit is inside of me and working in such a powerful way it's no longer i who live but christ who lives through me that's true of every christian and that's how we can do all things in the name of jesus Now, here's where Christians get twisted. I'm wrapping it up here. We tend to overestimate our own abilities here. We tend to isolate verse 17 that tells us what to do from verse 16, which tells us what to dwell on, which is where our identity stems from, which is the word of Christ, the gospel. And so we look to our work, what I can do for Jesus, and we use this as sort of a a bartering tool or a way to qualify ourselves to make ourselves more acceptable, more tolerable to God. As if we do a bunch of good things that will make us more deserving of Jesus and maybe he'll like us more. And if that's the case, that means that you are fueled by duty and obligation and not delight. See, there's a difference between being motivated by the gospel and and being motivated by religion. Religion makes you dutiful. It makes you obligated. But the gospel frees us to live in such a way that is joyful. That's joyful surrender. Say, Jesus, I'm happy. I am glad. My deepest delight is to live my life for you. That's what the gospel produces inside of me. And if our lives aren't motivated by the gospel, not only, not only is that an anti-gospel way to live, right? If Religion is anti-gospel. This line of do's and don'ts, and if I do this, then God will, right? That, that's anti-gospel. In fact, that is what grieves Jesus' heart. For us to have this gospel right at our fingertips and to insist upon relying on our own works instead of what Jesus has done for us. See, the reality is, that nothing we do can stand on its own. No matter what we bring to the table, it's flawed, it's broken, it's insufficient to make God pleased with us, and so we are incapable of working in our own strength to please Jesus. In fact, if you go to the the back half of verse 17, it shows us that we're so flawed, so broken, so incapable, that even our thankfulness and our worship needs to be done through or to be mediated by Jesus. Look at verse 17, it says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, what's that? Through him. See, even our worship needs to be mediated. So so Jesus mediates before God for us for our salvation, but our worship needs to be mediated. It needs to be done through Jesus because nothing we do can stand on its own. Now, don't despair here, right? Because you hear this and you think, oh, then what am I, what am I good for? What can I do? Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, brothers and sisters, we are embraced. Not because of your work, but because of Jesus' work. And with faith in Jesus, we will never be turned away from God. There's never a moment where God looks at us and he's upset or frustrated because everything in our lives is filtered through the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ is what enables us to live for him. So every good thing that we do in the name of Jesus is cleansed. Everything we do is made right in Jesus. Not that we can't do wrong, but the good that we do is redeemed. Redeemed. And when you see what Jesus has done for us, where he paid for every failed attempt, every rebellion that we've ever had to to live in a way contrary to doing everything in the name of Jesus, and you see the grace of God that meets us, you can't but help surrender your life to Jesus. You can't help but to say, I'm gladly going to live for you, Jesus. And here's the thing. When our life is saturated in the gospel, when our life, is lived for the name of Jesus and lived drawing from his power. Everything that we do in the name of Jesus will stand for the rest of eternity. Every kind word, every good deed, every time we share the gospel, every good thing, every beautiful thing that we contribute to our city will stand for eternity and it's because of the gospel, because of the work of Jesus, that the church is far more capable. And in one sense, we're completely incapable. But with Jesus, the church is far more capable than you can possibly imagine. Because it's the power of Jesus working in and through us. And so it's because of that that we can say, listen, we're going to make disciples. And we're going to plant churches. And we have a, a mission to renew our city. And not just our city. The nation and the world because this is what jesus is doing through his churches that are scattered throughout the world it's a big mission but this big mission only happens one small act in the name of jesus at a time see that's what we're called to these small acts done in the name of jesus have a huge impact on this world and so brothers and sisters Will you increase your life in regards to doing all things in the name of Jesus? Will you live your whole life, quorum deo, before the face of God and reflect his beauty and his glory? Will you draw from his power and strength and not your own? Not for your own glory, not so you get to pat yourself on the back, but for the name of Jesus, that he would be magnified like we sang about this morning. And brothers and sisters, I pray that you would catch this vision that Jesus has for the church. I pray that you would catch this vision that Jesus has for the Quad Cities to see this place renewed. I hope so. I hope you would catch that because Jesus wants to use us. First, Jesus wants to change us, and then Jesus wants to use us to accomplish his work. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of the cross, which makes us new. That, that there's nothing, nothing on earth that can separate us from your power, nothing on earth that can separate us from your love, and you are so kind and gracious to us, Father. We pray that you would enliven us, that you would quicken our hearts to live for Jesus in every way. Would your spirit convict us and lead us deeper into surrender? Would your spirit comfort us and assure us uh, that we are Jesus's and he is ours? And would your spirit empower us to live in such a radical way? for the glory and the fame of Jesus. We pray this. Amen.